This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. A match that could only have been made in Hollywood. Jonathan Vigliotti catches up with Nick and Vanessa Lachey, who've spent the past few years hard at work on a hit show featuring love stories truly made for TV. You really married me? You really said yes! The rules of attraction are changing. And nowhere is that more true than on television. Grown men are proclaiming their love for this person that they've never, ever laid eyes on. So eight weeks from hello, hello to, to I do. I do. That sounds insane. It does. I cannot do this. Nick and Vanessa Lachey on Love is Blind and Making Marriage Work. Ahead on Sunday morning. And we'll tell you about a very different affair of the heart. Martha Teichner visits a mountainside paradise for pets. Dog Mountain is to your average dog park what Everest is to an ordinary hill. It's a work of art created by an artist. It's sacred space for dogs and the people who love them, like me. 
Later this Sunday morning, a day at Dog Mountain with Gurley. <laughs> and much more besides. Faith Saley serves up a short history of that classic confection beloved by so many, fudge. Rita Braver is in conversation with school shooting survivor and gun safety activist David Hogg. Plus, David Martin with a look back at the long and rocky road that led to desegregation of our military. A story from Steve Hartman and more. This Sunday morning, February 12th, 2023. And we'll be back in a moment. Faith Saley has a Valentine's Day treat that couldn't be any sweeter. This time of year, freezing temperatures are nothing unusual in northern Michigan. But there's one kitchen that knows a recipe for keeping warm. Original Murdoch's Fudge has been in operation since 1887, when it first opened its doors on Michigan's Mackinac Island. Fudge is kind of king in, in Michigan. Bob Benzer is now the owner. I put a little piece of fudge sometimes in my coffee in the morning, a little piece of double chocolate fudge. You get the sugar, the cream. So yeah, cafe mocha type uh, flavor. Fudge is Mackinac Island, synonymous with Mackinac Island. Mackinac Island, between Michigan's upper and lower peninsulas, is the self-proclaimed fudge capital of America. The car-free oasis has more than a dozen fudge shops. During the summer, fudge-loving tourists, affectionately called fudgies, flood the island. To meet the demand, each shop can make up to 500 pounds a day. But even when temperatures and tourism cool, fudge remains a hot item. Fudge seems like a natural fit for Valentine's Day. We all love chocolates at Valentine's Day, right? Yeah. So why not, why wouldn't you like fudge? That appetite for fudge dates back more than a century. Pour into grease pans and mark off into squares. So it definitely sounds like fudge. Joyce White is a food historian. We met her at the Maryland Center for History and Culture in Baltimore. Fudge is actually based on a recipe for chocolate caramels, which was very, very similar. What probably happened is that there was someone in Baltimore messed it up, fadged it, Fadge is a word that means you messed up. I fadged it or I fudged it. Yeah. Nowadays, we'd use a different F word to say that, right? <laughs> yes, yes. By 1888, that Baltimore recipe was passed along to a student at Vassar College, then all women, in Poughkeepsie, New York. Women would make fudge in their dorm rooms um, doing something against the rules in the late evenings and uh, trying to get away with something not condoned in the rule book. At the same time, men at men's colleges were out carousing. It was a woman's way of being rebellious, you know, cooking in the dorm at night. Open flame, after hours. Absolutely breaking the rules. Right, breaking every rule <laughs> in, a, in a way that was still considered ladylike. Ladylike, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Soon, so-called Vassar fudge ended up at other women's colleges, even making headlines around the country. Fast forward a century, and the recipe for fudge hasn't changed much. 
Sugar, milk, butter, and chocolate mixed. Poured onto a marble slab. Then worked until the mixture solidifies. Here at Original Murdoch's St. Ignace location, veteran fudge maker Carnell Samuels turns the 45-minute process into a 30-pound loaf of fudge. Down and out. Let's grab it. So. Scoop. All right. Right here? There you go. So push. Look at that. You're a good teacher. Making fudge is certainly harder than it looks. But if its history has taught us anything, it's that mistakes can be sweet. Any way you slice it. With Martha Teichner this morning, we're heading to Vermont to visit a landmark that's sacred ground for dog lovers everywhere. Look, it's me. Girlie, come on. If you want the treat, you have to sit. Sit. <gasps> Good girlie. And my dog, Gurley. Hey, Gurley. That's a perfect name. That's what I call At Dog him. Mountain, having a good time on a beautiful fall day. Look at his tail, Gurley. If Dog Mountain were just a joyful place where dogs can run around or plop into a nice pond, it would still be pretty special. 150 dog-friendly acres in the scenic hills of northern Vermont. But there is much, much more to this story. It's actually a real tearjerker. Sweet, but sad. It began in 1994, when artist Stephen Hunek was injured falling down a flight of stairs, his injury causing him to develop a rare, often fatal, lung condition. I was dead for like five minutes, not breathing. And I was in a coma for over two months, and they really pretty much wrote me off. Hunek and his wife Gwen, more than a decade ago, reliving the nightmare. I said to myself, well, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to believe he's going to get better. And he did. I had to learn to walk again, and my dogs really took care of me. We would go for short walks in the woods, and they really stayed right with me. His dogs became the subjects of the now famous woodcuts he was finally strong enough to make. His black lab, Sally, featuring in a series of best-selling children's books he wrote and illustrated. And then came his vision. I remember the moment perfectly where I had this idea popped into my mind was build a chapel for dogs and for people. He built it himself with this sign out front. There are carved dogs everywhere, even a dog angel on top of the steeple. There are dogs inside, some real, some not. The chapel opened in 2000 and is, more than anything, a room full of love, it's overwhelming. It makes me happy, despite crying, to come back and see. And I, I feel like this is a place that they're buried and that we come back and visit every year. Every inch of every wall, floor to ceiling, has been covered with layers and layers of photographs and messages people have left, 
mourning the dogs they've lost, and the occasional cat, missing them. Heather Berkey drove seven and a half hours from outside Philadelphia to honor her Vishla, Lexi, who had died a few weeks before from cancer. She brought some of Lexi's ashes to spread. We love free. We love you. We love you, Lexi. To have her up here and free. I don't know. Does it help? There's no words. <laughs> How many places are there where society lets you grieve for a dog with all your heart the way you would a person? The way I have dogs in my life. <laughs> Do you believe that dogs go to heaven? I would like to think yes. Susan Oladol is an Episcopal priest. I come here almost every day. I volunteer here. Whose ministry includes comforting people at Dog Mountain. Stephen Hunick has a great whimsical piece of art that's entitled A Dog Has a Soul and the dog is holding the shoelace with a shoe attached. For all the humor in his work, Stephen Hunek struggled with depression. Here's the sad part of this story. Afraid he would have to close Dog Mountain and his gallery as a result of the Great Recession, in January 2010, Hunek died by suicide. Three years later, his wife Gwen took her own life. You have a place of joy, you have a place of love, but you also have the suicides of mm -hmm. Stephen and Gwen. Mm -hmm. How do you square that mm -hmm. with the, 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 the wonder of the place? Mm. I don't think they're to be squared. It's only a piece of a story, and the story of what they have left behind, this gift, is where most other people, and myself, are greatly impacted by. The Hunex dream lives on. One of the things that the Hunex kind of realize is every little child that's ever fallen in love with the Sally books, when they get to come to Dog Mountain and actually meet the Sally, it, uh, it's one of those things that they feel so special. Amanda McDermott is creative director of Dog Mountain and the person who cares for the current Sally. So this is just like a postcard. Oh, it's beautiful up here. There was something so pleasant about that place Even your emotions have an echo in so much space Three times a year, Dog Mountain has a party. I'm looking for some dancers out in the crowd today. Hundreds of dogs and their people show up. This one was in October. It was a free to all, free for all. Whoops, I'm sorry. Girly! But in spite of all the playful chaos, I managed a quiet moment to slip into the chapel and find a place to leave my message, to tell the dogs I've lost, that I love them still and hope that wherever they are, they know. <sighs>
The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Sadly, Tuesday also marks the fifth anniversary of one of the deadliest school shootings in American history in Parkland, Florida. Rita Braver is in conversation with David Hogg, a Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School survivor who found his life's mission that dark day in February. So it's been a long five years. A lot has happened. Yes, it feels like a lifetime has gone by. It was February 14, 2018, when David Hogg, then 17, and other terrified students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, sheltered in classrooms and closets as a 19-year-old gunman rampaged through their school. I was really, really scared, uh, and I kind of felt like the adrenaline like rushed down like my spine. but. I immediately heard in the back of my head my dad's voice. If anything ever happens, you have to stay calm. So we are all taking our time. because. So locked down with other students, Hogg started recording videos in case they didn't survive. We heard more gunshots, and that was when we realized this was not a drill. Indeed, 17 people were murdered that day, 17 more injured. Thank you for your prayers and condolences, but that is not enough. Heartbroken, Hogg joined with fellow students like Emma Gonzalez, now known as X, to demand tougher gun laws. He wouldn't have harmed that many students with a knife! And they would build a national movement. March for Our Lives, their first protest in Washington drawing some 800,000 people. When politicians send their thoughts and prayers with no action, we say no more. As one of the leaders of the movement, Hogg was praised and reviled. There were death threats. Yes, many, 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 many. But he and his fellow students persevered, pressuring both state and federal lawmakers. Even in their home state, gun-friendly Florida, they helped get the gun purchase age up to 21. And a so-called red flag law that allows guns to be temporarily taken from people who make specific threats, like the one that was sent to David Hogg's mother. And it said, F with the NRA and you'll be DOA. So this person lived like 20 minutes away from us. We used the law that we created after Parkland to disarm that individual. And because of the law that we passed, 
it very may well have stopped me from having to bury my own mother. That's incredible. Right? Wow. And that same law has been used over 6,000 times since Parkland. Seeing these children stand up in a way that adults did not really touched a chord with a lot of people. Yes, it is incredibly inspiring that we stood up, but young people having to stand up to not die in their classrooms is not a good sign. It's, it's as good of a sign as a canary passing out in a coal mine is for our democracy. In a way, it was almost like, let the kids do it. 100%. And that is time and time again, one of the most incredibly frustrating things, probably the most insulting. It's all the people that we've had come up to us that say, my generation really screwed up, but we're glad that you, you kids are here to fix it. And just acting like they have no role in that. It all took a toll. Now 22 and a Harvard senior majoring in history, Hogg is active but not full-time working for March for Our Lives. He told us for a few years he just felt numb. You have said that you have post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Mm -hmm. How are you? Much better, thanks to therapy. My freshman year was really, really, really hard. And maybe you call it survivor's guilt, I don't know what it was, but it, it just didn't feel like I needed to address it because the movement was so important that I just sacrificed everything for it. So I had to just learn to say no and really focus on being a student, which was honestly, I think, the hardest thing that I had to learn in college. Hogg believes the efforts of gun control advocates in getting scores of laws passed since 2018 have stopped some mass shootings. But he acknowledges they have still increased, some 600 just last year. And he is especially haunted by the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, that surpassed Parkland, with 19 children and two adults killed. What goes through your mind? What goes through your heart as that's happening? Guilt. It's a lot of guilt. We came out and we literally said never again. Obviously that didn't work, unfortunately. But Hogg plans to continue advocating for more gun control when he graduates this spring. And he has a strategy. Do you see a model out there where there's something else that maybe people thought they'll never overcome the lobby? Yes. And that is? tobacco. The tobacco industry is exactly the model that I think of in terms of the decades of work that it will take to address this issue. Look, I'm an American citizen. I'm a gun owner. I have a concealed carry permit. I carry a gun with for protection. He and members of his team may have been heckled on Capitol Hill by Marjorie Taylor Greene, now a Republican congresswoman. And you have nothing to say. No words. We must but David Hogg believes that all Americans can and must come together to prevent more mass shootings. We need to put our politics aside and get something done. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, we all have people that we care about and none of us want gun violence to continue. Steve Hartman has a story of forgiveness and turning desperation into hope. The man in the green hoodie is Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, City Councilman Ralph Rodriguez, trying to scare away a would-be burglar. He was at this window? Literally at the window. I saw him prying into here. The guy was trying to break into the office of a nonprofit Rodriguez runs. He just kind of took off. Just kept running that way. Just kept going, yep. 
All the perpetrator left behind was this grainy image on a doorbell camera. So he could have gotten away with it. If only he hadn't reached out to Rodriguez on social media, offering his name and his confession. I have to be willing to face the consequences, and that is what I'm ready to do. For most crime victims, that would be case closed. But for Ralph Rodriguez, it was opportunity opened. He didn't want to add another young man to the prison rolls, especially one with no prior criminal record. So instead of pressing charges, he pressed for answers. So you decide to meet this guy? Absolutely. And I actually took the time to hear a story, see the environment in which he lives in, and I get it. Poverty has a way of pushing you to do things that you would have never imagined you were even capable of doing. 22-year-old Rashawn Turner agreed to talk with us on condition we not show his face. I made a severe lapse in my judgment that night. My father was struggling with basic needs, and I was like, I can't sit here and just wait for what little we still have to be taken away. I have to do something. And when Ralph Rodriguez heard that, he did something. Making sure he's financially good and has just some clothes on his back. So you started sending him money? Absolutely. The guy who just tried to rob Absolutely. you? Absolutely, yep. Because what he doesn't need anymore is any more disappointments. I'm pretty sure people have told him things in his life and dropped the ball 10 out of 10 times. It's just not what I'm prepared to do. And that's what you're bringing. Look, so yeah. Rodriguez turned the other yep. cheek. See how close we got to that? Gave him part-time work painting the very place he just tried to burglarize and set him up with job training. See that? I thought that there would be no one willing to help me, but you never know. You just have to ask. But I wasn't willing to ask. What are you going to do with this chance? Not wasted. Let me look up this permit test. Ralph Rodriguez, the best kind of crime fighter. You just need a shot. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't try my best to get you that shot, man. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I wanted to ask you if you'd be my wife. I don't care what you look like. I would love to be. Really? Yes. It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Jane Pauley. Love is blind, or so goes the saying. Jonathan Vigliotti is talking with a couple who put the expression to the test. From Hollywood, the dating capital of the world, in color, it's the dating game. America's love for television love is one for the ages. Let's bring her on stage right now. 
When the dating game first beamed into homes in 1965, you're going to have to select a date from three gentlemen's sight on scene. It was love at first sight, at least for the show's passionate viewers. All right, number three, if you gave me your best good night kiss and I told you it wasn't good enough, what would you say to me? Well, I would definitely convince you that I have a better one. In the years and decades to follow, there would be spin-offs by different names. Welcome to Love Connection. With new pickup lines. Hey, Antonia, will you go out with me? And eventually, new rules of attraction. It seems like he's having these amazing relationships with all these girls. From dating 25 people at once. Anastasia, we accept this shows. To getting married first. You may kiss. Your bride. And asking questions later. Where are you from? Louisiana. Really? But in the family tree of dating shows. This is the biggest decision of my life. There's nothing quite like love is blind. I've met the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. The Netflix series where singles mingle behind walls before deciding to pop the question. Will you marry me? Sight unseen. So eight weeks from hello, hello to, to I do. I do, yeah. That sounds insane. It does, and you're probably like 100% of the people who sign up for the show, and then in the end they're like, man, I'm a believer. Husband and wife celebrity hosts Nick and Vanessa Lachey call Love is Blind a new take on an old way of courting. Welcome to Love is Blind. What I think is so fascinating is it's how love used to be. People used to, like, mm. if we're going back, back, it's sending letters, and then it was letters and a phone call, and you always courted this person. And there's just conversation. I mean, you, you get to know someone so intimately, so quickly. I remember specifically someone saying, I dated this girl for three years, and I've already talked to people in these walls more than I have with my girlfriend of three years. I'm here to find my wife. Once engaged, participants in what producers call a social experiment meet each other's friends and family before walking down the aisle. For some, the real world is too much. You have single-handedly shattered my self-confidence. But in the show's three seasons, six couples have gotten married. When you take one of the senses away, your others are heightened. I think you feel more, you listen more, you're forced to listen because you can't watch them and get distracted by them and they're you know, whether it's a, a wonky eyebrow. <laughs> I mean, or like every now and then a I have a wonky like, eyebrow. <laughs> or if he's like checking out like her cleavage or whatever it is, that's all taken away. When you hit those challenges, the idea is that you can rely and fall back on that incredible emotional connection that allowed you to propose that to someone. That allowed you to get there. You never have, you know, you never I, saw before. The Lachey's have hit their own speed bumps on the road to love. Nick Lachey. Vanessa Manillo. They first met in 2003, then just friends. Nick was the lead singer of the boy band 98 Degrees and married to fellow pop star Jessica Simpson. The couple even had their own reality show. Vanessa was a VJ on MTV's Total Request Live, where Nick often appeared as a guest. I'm so excited for this album to be out. I hope everybody out there went and got it. In 2006, after Nick and Jessica Simpson went through a very public divorce, Nick and Vanessa's chemistry changed. So now we're both single. He told me we have the same birthday. I'll never forget. We were and in New York and I was like, 
Hello, Nick Lachey. <laughs> it just, it just all came together. And then I thought, what better way to make sure your music video gets played on TRL than to ask a VJ to star in your music video? So, so romantic. That romance really picked up on their first official date. It was like 11.30 at night and I had come from work. He had been performing. He's like, you want to get a bite to eat? The only thing open in Trenton, New Jersey at 11.30 at night was Hooters. So that is our love story. I'm afraid to ask, what did you order? Well, everyone knows they have the best, best wings. wings. <laughs> Those wings, take note, Valentine's, eventually led to marriage in 2011 and three children. When producers from Love is Blind asked the couple to host the show together, they say there was no hesitation. They made literally our dreams come true in terms of being able to work together, being able to spend time together, making our marriage stronger ultimately in the end. So 15 years, long time for any couple. Couple in the spotlight. I mean, that's a hanging lifetime. On. Yeah, in like, hanging on for like dog life. years and like celebrity years. We've been together <laughs> for like a thousand, right? <laughs> dog years. The Lachey's say compromise has helped them hang on, like when they moved to Honolulu in 2022, so the family could be together while Vanessa taped NCIS Hawaii, the CBS show she stars in. Jane Tennant, special agent in charge, NCIS Hawaii. Another key comes straight out of the show they host, communication, which is why they started seeing a marriage counselor. I have to work at how I communicate with him. He has to work at understanding me and how I've changed and evolved. And we have to work at putting each other first. And as our therapist says, turning towards each other, not just physically, but emotionally. I think like anything that's meaningful in your life, it's worth working at. That work has paid off. Like how the couple now takes turns answering questions. <laughs> What's that? This is how we, yeah, yeah. Decide who's doing the chore of answering my question, okay? <laughs> oh! <laughs> okay, you can do it. In love... I'm, I hardly have a win. That's, that's a big moment. And marriage. In real life and, yes, even on TV. All right, come here. I just want to hug you. No, no, no. I'm okay. Hugging the wall. <laughs> Sometimes it's the little gestures that matter most. Love is blind and love is a lot of things. <laughs> love is work and it should be a fun job. Good luck. Good love. It should be something that you're excited to work at. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. For most of our nation's history, black and white members of the armed forces were anything but equal. 
Then in 1948, a new law brought segregation to an end. David Martin looks back at the long and painful battle for equality and uniform. Nothing would have kept me from being with you this evening. Because I and so many other men and women of color who have served this nation in uniform owe so much to President Harry S. Truman and to Executive Order 9981. The late Colin Powell was only 11 years old in 1948 when President Truman issued the executive order ending segregation in the armed forces. There shall be equality of treatment and opportunities for all persons in the armed services without regard to race, creed, or color. But first, the man from Independence, Missouri, had to overcome his upbringing. Both of my grandparents, previous to the war between the states, owned slaves. And my mother died an unreconstructed rebel. This is a, an example from 1939. Kurt uh, Graham, director of the Truman Library, says the archives contain handwritten examples of his racist views. He says, uh, I went up to the Metropolitan by myself and saw men about town. It is a very funny show. The N-word steals the screen. This is how he thinks. Yeah, it had no hesitation, no compunction about using a racial epithet like that. Six years later, as World War II entered its final agony, Truman was thrust into the presidency by the sudden death of Franklin Roosevelt and found himself the commander-in-chief of two armies, one black and one white. The war was a watershed moment in the process of segregation. Charles Bowery, director of the Army's Center for Military History, says the one million African Americans who fought for freedom in uniform while being denied it at home exposed the hypocrisy of segregation. It forwarded the civil rights movement because of the massive scale of service of African Americans in uniform. It just could not be ignored. You could not ignore the bravery of African Americans. And Truman could not ignore the despicable treatment of black veterans like Isaac Woodard. Isaac Woodard is an African-American soldier who comes home from the war, and he's dragged from a bus by South Carolina police and beaten so severely that he permanently loses his sight. And Truman, I think, just says that's enough. Did you do anything about it? He instructed the Justice Department to investigate. An all-white jury acquitted the defendants, and life went on in South Carolina. Hmm. But Harry Truman, uh, was not going to let that stand. Speaking from the Lincoln Memorial, Truman became the first president ever to address the NAACP. There is no justifiable reason for discrimination because of ancestry or religion or race or color. Risky politics for a president seeking a second term. He has enraged the South with his liberal civil rights platform. What was his political future in 1948? He was on the ropes. He was seen to be someone who likely was not going to win re-election. Days after he was nominated, Truman issued the order to end segregation in the military. What was the, the Army's reaction to this order? The Army's reaction, particularly in its leadership, was stridently against the executive order. Truman appointed a committee headed by Charles Fahey to enforce the order. 
Records show its staff director warning Fahey the Army intends to do as little as possible and might have gotten away with it except for a black civilian who worked at the Pentagon. An individual with deep understanding of the Army's personnel practices. <laughs> He's the Fahey Committee's deep throat. That's a way to describe it, yes. Roy Davenport is one of history's hidden figures. Using his inside knowledge to show the Fahey Committee the Army's response for desegregation wasn't worth the paper it was written on. What really turns the coin is the Korean War. Desegregation begins in foxholes in Korea. With all-white combat units retreating in the face of the North Korean onslaught, black soldiers were sent in to fight alongside whites. What happens is that these units turn the tide, and the army in Korea is on a path to integration because they have finally and completely disproven this idea that black soldiers cannot be trusted alongside white soldiers. So wars are a forcing mechanism. They are. So the next war is Vietnam. Yes. As the buildup in Vietnam was beginning and the civil rights movement reaching critical mass, Joe Anderson was a cadet at West Point. Did you ever wonder, what am I doing here? I absolutely wondered why I was at the academy when all of our people of black heritage were sitting in encounters and fighting uh, to be treated fairly in the United States. James Fowler, one of only six black colonels in the entire army at the time, gave him this advice. He said to me, Joe, we have a lot of people that can sit in encounters. We don't have a lot of people that can get through West Point. That's your job. As he entered his senior year, Anderson was denied a leadership position in the Corps of Cadets. My view is that the Academy in 1964 was not ready to have African Americans uh, demonstrate significant leadership in the parades and that kind of thing. Hold up. Hey, sir! Two years after graduating, Anderson became arguably the best-known soldier, black or white, in the entire Army. Lieutenant Anderson, 24. Leader of the Anderson Platoon, an Oscar and Emmy-winning documentary which aired on CBS. You want me to keep moving? It was probably the first time that America had seen an African-American in leadership in combat. Anderson's platoon showed the country what the Army had learned in Korea. In combat, it's about who can get them home safe. But in the rear areas, race still mattered. Black soldiers were not going to take the same kind of treatment that they had taken in civilian life. Hank Thomas is a lion in the winter of his years. But at the age of 19, he was one of the original Freedom Riders. A firebomb was thrown through the back window of the bus. And when I was getting off the bus, I was attacked again physically. Each physical blow was a badge of honor. Sure, he was about to be drafted into the Army for his troublemaking, Thomas volunteered to become a medic and was sent to Vietnam. The commanding officer was a captain from Mississippi, and the supply sergeant was a redneck from Mississippi. Did they use Confederate symbols? There was a group of soldiers in my outfit who flew the Confederate flag. I towed a flag down and dared anyone to put it up again. Did you have any run-ins with that redneck 
supply sergeant? The black soldiers came to me and said uh, the sergeant uh, was not giving them new boots. So I went over to the supply shack, threatened to whip his butt. I almost got court-martialed for it, uh, but I got the boots and the equipment for the black soldiers. After Vietnam, the U.S. abandoned the draft and created an all-volunteer force, which attracted recruits by offering better pay and benefits. What it did was dramatically increase the number of African Americans who raised their hand to serve. Because I was 17, my mother had to sign for me uh, to go in, so 41 and a half years later, here I sit. Now a lieutenant general, Dimitri Henry joined the Marines in 1981. Did you experience anything that felt like discrimination as you were coming up through the enlisted ranks? I would call it points where individuals uh, would, would show their disdain for someone who looked like me. So how did they express their disdain? At a typical name calling. The N-word? Yes. How did you react? I chose not to react. If you're going to um, allow someone else to control your emotions, then you've already lost. While Henry was still a sergeant, Colin, welcome, sir. Colin Powell became the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. During the first Gulf War against Iraq, Powell showed the nation a black general in charge. Our strategy to go after this army is very, very simple. First, we're going to cut it off, and then we're going to kill it. But Dimitri Henry says he still feels judged by the color of his skin. It helps me to focus more uh, because I understand what uh, is being thought about me and, and uh, what people may decide to do just based solely on what I look like. That sounds like a I'll show them attitude. Unfortunately, I think that's exactly what it is. It's a survival type of uh, tool. Henry survived to become the director of intelligence for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, okay. another first for black Americans in uniform. That uh, happened on the backs and shoulders of uh, others that have gone before, and it just builds and builds and builds. Mr. Secretary. Good morning, David. The most obvious result of the forces Harry Truman set in motion 75 years ago is Lloyd Austin, the first African-American defense secretary. Would you be in this job without that order? Probably not. Uh, probably not. In the two years he's been in the job, Austin has more than doubled the number of black three- and four-star generals and admirals, from 10 to 22. That's a dramatic change. Mm -hmm. Did you select these generals because they were the best person for the job? Or did you select them because they are African-American? We selected them because they're the best people for the job. It's been 75 years since Truman issued his executive order. Is there equal treatment and opportunity in the armed forces? If you ever stopped striving to achieve uh, that goal of uh, equal opportunity and equal treatment, I think then you'll begin to slide backwards. Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning. Brighten your mornings with CBS News Sunday Morning Merchandise from ParamountShop.com. Shop mugs, sweatshirts, and t-shirts to start your mornings with style. Take 20% off at checkout with code SUNDAY20 at ParamountShop.com. That's 20% off at checkout on all CBS News Sunday Morning products with code SUNDAY20 at ParamountShop.com.
CBSNewsRadio.com. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.